0: Welcome to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence, the podcast where we interview real people with real stories of taking charge of their time and reaching financial independence faster. And now, your host, Elisa Zen.
1: Hi, welcome everybody to another episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Today, we have Andrew Post- Postel from Guaranteed Rates. And uh, he is a very uh, well-versed mortgage broker who uh, specializes in helping investors uh, finding the right products and helping them getting their mortgage loans in the residential space. Um, So today we're going to get into a lot of good questions for him to unpack as a real estate investor. What are the common things that we have to kind of watch out for and some of the common questions over here? Uh, Welcome to the show, Andrew.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
1: Awesome. And Andrew actually has his own investment as well. So we're going to be talking about some of that as well. So Andrew, we always start a show by um, asking people, who do you think um, helped you uh, and impact you the most to become a dynamic uh, individual as who you are um, and who has kind of like the entrepreneur spirit
2: Yeah, so t- for me, I have the tale of two fathers really. I have my father and my uncle. They were both very important people in my lives. My uncle was a military veteran and my father was a very spiritual. He was deacon in church, all sorts of roles within religious organizations. So for me, I had two really good examples. Uh But one thing that my father did was that we moved a lot, a lot. Like when I was 18, I probably moved 18 times. Wow. Every time we moved, he sold his real estate. Nice. My uncle though, he moved a lot as well. But every time he moved, he kept his real estate. Wow. So when I was old enough to understand what was going on, I had my father and we had one home and yeah. my uncle who had an enormous amount to me of seven properties. Yeah. But he lived differently than we did. Hustle. Because he focused on real estate and he made sacrifices to do that. And that's kind of where I got my inspiration from, from both of them. I learned what I did not want to do with my father in real estate. He was a great example in other ways. And I learned what to do with my uncle in real estate.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then so when you said that he made sacrifices, your uncle, that is, um, what kind of sacrifices did he make?
2: Yeah. So if you can imagine, um, most people have to sell their current home in order to have the down payment for their next home. That's how most people work when they have home ownership, right? So for him, it was important to keep his home. Mm -hmm. So he had to plan and save in order to afford to buy his next home, right. it sounds weird, but his down payment and closing costs, he had to prepare for. So it was almost like chess. Right. Chess is designed that you anticipate and plan ahead several moves in advance,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that's the kind of sacrificing he had to do. He had he has a, he was a family man. He had kids. Right. He had expenses. So in order to do this, he had to plan aggressively.
1: Right, and then save aggressively. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Thank you for that insight. Um, and so moving forward, like as you kind of grow up, um, so what what is your first job like?
2: Oh, gosh, my first job was mowing grass. Yeah. That's what I did. <laughs> great work. Great work for a young kid to be doing, you know. Right. Um, after out of high school, the thing that probably got me into the foundation of where I need to be was I joined military service. So, you know, following again in my uncle's footsteps, I joined the Marines. Yeah. And the Marines brought out what I already had in me, which was discipline and a hard work ethic. Except now they put it in a life endangering scenario that right. puts a lot of character into anybody if you can survive it. Yeah. So, after I got out, I now had the drive and motivation and understanding how to be extremely successful Mm -hmm. in order to do that for me this my story was I had to work really really hard at it Mm -hmm. so I did go to college out of the marines because they paid for it probably the only way I was able to go into college and then I graduated with honors I could not have done that out of high school out of high school I was kind of like a punk you know (laughs) and maybe I'm still a little bit of that but they put something in me that I you know they they lit the fire that I had all the kindling and the wood there and it was all ready to go. That's what my family gave me. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have a spark. I was a little lazy, but the Marines, they put that into you. They made it. So you had to work hard. And that was instilled in you from day one. And I took that and ran with it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So out of college, um, what is your first kind of grown up job out of that?
2: Yeah. So it, It was so weird for me because the story is not um, a straight line. I went to Florida State University, which, you know, might have heard of if you're into sports at all. But what I didn't know at the time was Florida State had a really good acting school. So all the friends that I made there were actors or inspiring actors. Right. And they all moved to New York City. They're like, hey, man, come on up to New York City with me. And I was like, what what am I going to do in New York, man? You know, they're like, well, what are you going to do in Florida? I was like, oh, I don't. Yeah, good point. All right, I'll come to New York. (laughs) So as soon as I got to New York, you know, I had a great time being there, but I needed a job. Uh And the the fundamental things that I needed to have in my job was the ethical of, like, I don't know how to describe it, like being able to take care of others, giving back to the community. Uh And that's why I worked for the United Way of New York City. It was a great organization. It was a perfect fit for me. I was in a sales position. Mm-hmm. I, I fundraised, we called it begging, but yeah. that's what it was. You're just basically going to extremely wealthy people and businesses and asking them to believe in the community yeah. and give back to it. So that was a great starting place for me to work at right out of college. And it kept those core beliefs uh, in, in the front of my career.
0: Yeah. And
2: ever since then, I tried to make sure to work at every employer that I worked for. Do you guys give back? I like to work for privately held companies mm-hmm. because um, you know they put customers and employees before shareholders. I've worked for publicly traded before. I did not care for it very much. Nothing wrong with it if you do, but for me, I want privately held businesses that give a bunch of money to charity. And I've always kept that that mentality.
1: That's amazing. And thank you for your service. By the way, I should have uh, talked uh, said that earlier. I think it's a uh, it's it's. Um... It, it's great, like you said, it's a great um, place to kind of make who you are today. And we, we work with a lot of our colleagues or um, past servicemen, and then we can see the, the, the amount of discipline uh, that they have, uh, which is really needed in entrepreneurship uh, to kind of make things th- thrive over there. Um, just wanna to kind of touch on that. Uh, definitely. Thank you.
0: Well, and, thank you.
1: Yeah, and and so out of the 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 job how did you land it up being a mortgage broker
2: yeah so the so one of the clients that we had um was an insurance company uh-huh. that was privately held like hey we like what you do would you mind coming to work for us mm-hmm. and they had a territory in florida where i went to college that they were having a really hard time wrestling clients with and I was like, wow, are you guys privately held? And they were, and they, do you give a bunch of money in charity? Oh, wait, you do? Because I'm with the you. And I, yeah, I see you give a bunch of money. So I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot and move back to Florida.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And then that company decided to go public. Oh. And yeah, I changed uh, positions and uh, I went out looking for a new place. And there was a very small company uh-huh. out of Florida that maybe had 150 employees. And they were like, hey, we want you to do mortgages. And I had to tell them, I like, I don't, I don't know anything about mortgages. i right. like, well, yeah, but you would have the most sales experience out of anybody in our company. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was a very young company. Yeah. So I came on there on, in like a fast track position. Mortgages just happened to be the sidebar of it. It was really the executive program that they had in place that attracted me, uh-huh. but more, it just random circumstance, but mortgages, that's where I got started in it.
1: That's awesome, that's awesome. And then my understanding is you also, you're also an investor. So meanwhile, you're doing the United, um, uh, United of America job over there, um, and uh, that's, a, that's a nonprofit. So you don't make a lot from nonprofit as far as I understand. Maybe there's something that you do. Um, and the, how did you kind of work your way up to the first investment?
2: Yeah, so I got my first investment property in college, before I even had a really big job, I just served, served tables when I was in college. So in college serving tables, I bought, a, I bought a house and I house hacked. Nice. So now the two advantages that I had about doing it with the strategy, I used a down payment assistance program
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I bought an inexpensive home that mm-hmm. was good condition something that I could afford. It was a $50,000 home, nice. multiple bedrooms. I rented out the bedrooms and the down payment assistance program
0: mm-hmm.
2: allowed me to purchase it with a low out-of-pocket amount with a low interest rate. Wow. I lived in it for a few years and then rented it. It was a great start.
0: Great. You that? right
2: now? No, I sold it years later because just like any single family home, if you ever talk into this, this world, your home appreciates and your loan, your, your loan goes down. So you get this huge piece of equity and there's a lot of strategies that talk about selling after five years and then using that to buy two properties. And that's what I did. I sold it after owning it for about five years. Yeah. And then I had enough money to buy more.
1: Gotcha. Would you do have done the same knowing what you know
2: now? Oh yes, absolutely. Yes. And I encourage people like, Hey Andrew, I don't I don't make a lot of money, I don't have a lot of money. Do you own your own primary home? Mm -hmm. And even if you do, how about moving into another one and keeping your current primary home? Right. It's slower, right? I mean, I would love for us to all have tons of money. Yeah. But if you have limited access to funds, buying your primary home into and buying another primary home and buying another primary home is a great way. And the plan is, if you can just hang on to it for five years, right. you can leverage it into more.
1: Makes sense. And why would you? Why did you not decided not to cash out, refinance, and potentially holding that property, uh, and and then getting to leverage it, getting into more more deals.
2: So I think if I would have been taught to do that, maybe I would have done it. But uh-huh. I can't go back and do it any differently. I'm in a very great place. So yeah. selling it, there was no capital gains,
0: right? You know, on it.
2: So I I was able to um, to take all the money that I had and put it into more properties. A cash out refinance at the time. This was before 2010. Everybody, right? So cash out. I could, probably could have cash out loaned over the value of the home at the time, which was insane to think about. So maybe it was fortunate that I sold it at the time, <laughs> Right. you know, and then uh, didn't take too much out of it and get over leveraged, but it seemed to work out just fine how I did it.
1: Yeah, over leverage Thank you for kind of mentioning that. I think that that's definitely, it's always a balance between uh, over leveraging and then kind of place your, place your uh, you know, like a steps away before. Um, so that's, that's great. Um, and then, so from there, I'm guessing from one property, you kind of be able to buy a couple and then kind of grow over the, over the ways. So thank you, Andrew, for all sharing your investment experience. Now let's kind of switch gear a little bit to get into the mortgage side of things. Cause we have a lot of fire runs and questions to ask you about that. Um, so as a mortgage broker and investor. Um, what would you say, um, you know, some of the common questions that you get from investors and then from our viewers too? Which yeah. To
2: say, yes. Okay. So the most, like the most common things that I get faced with is like, Hey, Andrew, I went to my bank and they told me they couldn't do this.
0: Uh-huh.
2: What's the real story? Right. So let's peel back the curtain a little bit and talk about some of the common misconceptions there are in lending. Yeah. Misconception number one, the most common one that I I find, seasoning.
0: Uh-huh.
2: If I buy a property and rehab it, sometimes people call it the Burr method, you know, if I buy a property, rehab it, how long do I need to stay on title? You do not need to stay on title at all. Uh-huh. You can stay on title for one day. There is no seasoning. Oh. Or maybe I should say there is if you go to the wrong lender. Just like when I first started doing this, before there was the internet, before all these websites, before your organization was even around, the only option that we had was to either one, read some eight-year-old book in the library that was outdated, or two, find somebody else that we knew. And the only person that I knew was my uncle. So when I bought my first property and rehabbed it, I went to a bank and, hey, can you, no, can't do it. I just took their word on it. I guess all banks would say the same thing. And that's not the case. Yeah. It sounds frustrating, but real estate investments foreclose at a higher rate than primary homes. Wow. So if I'm a lender and I know this and more specifically, my shareholders know this. Yeah. I might limit my risk to you. Meaning I put these things, what we call overlays Mm -hmm. rules that go over the guidelines, and oh. Lisa, I might need to, let me back up just a little bit here. So yeah. to me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down lending, you know, in a concise way for residential lending, okay? I'm gonna say there's two loan types that we have, two. Yeah. The first loan type I'm gonna call portfolio lending. Right. That means it comes from the bank's own or lender's own portfolio of money, uh-huh. the money in their vault.
0: Right.
2: They get to call the rules. Right. The other loan type I'm gonna say is conventional lending. Right. The lender goes by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac rules. Right. If I have a choice, remember I'm talking about buy and hold rental property investing. Right. I'm going to choose to do Fannie and Freddie when I can. Right. Now, if you say, hey, Andrew, I don't have any income. I can't go Fannie and Freddie. That's totally fine. Then to go the portfolio route. Many people never touch Fannie and Freddie and are just fine. Mm-hmm. Portfolio loans are designed to waive all the things that Fannie and Freddie do. But if I can get Fannie and Freddie, I can get a lower rate, better terms, a longer loan that allow me to cash flow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just have to learn to live by their rules, right. which are that I've got to have a regular job and you know, some reasonable income. Yeah. But the restriction that I come across is that lenders don't like me. And because of that, we have overlays. Mm-hmm. I say we, other places do. We even have some here where I work, but that's okay. Yeah. Some of the common overlays are seasoning there is no seasoning for Fannie and Freddie. Fannie and Freddie say, hey, there's no seasoning, but lenders are allowed to put the overlay in. Uh The second one, what about your credit score? Some places say 680, some places say 700, what is it? Fannie and Freddie's minimum credit score is 620. Uh Wow. The other thing is too, can I transfer my property to my LLC? Of course you can. What about the due on sale clause? Hmm, maybe we should cover that a little bit. I can tell you all about the due on sale clause. It's not as bad as what people say. When can I do a cash out loan? All these things. So I've designed like a, a set of questions that I would like for people to ask. Right. Whenever if they're in this world, in the residential world, yeah. I want them to ask a few questions. Do you have a few moments for me to give you these questions?
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Okay. All right. Let me let me just reference my notes here, just so I can uh say them in order and how i want to say them oh, yeah.
1: and then we have our random questions too so like all the stuff that you just talked about over there are some common questions so let me let me kind of play maybe this particular scenario just privately having some uh you know like a personal personal uh thing over here you know one of our students for example have talked about uh, has quit her job or is about to quit their jobs because in easy fi you always talked about people going financial independence, and then the W-2, if they choose to continue investing invest in a residential route, this is typically people will say, oh, this is going to pose some issues over here. So let me ask some questions over there. So once I quit my job, I no longer have a stable W-2. And who wants to have a stable W-2 anyways? Um, and so the whole point of going financial independence so that your investment is actually replacing your W-2 and as such on paper loss Ideally, it should be larger than what you make, therefore you pay zero taxes. Um, so in this scenario, how could a person who is an investor continue to grow their portfolio uh, mm-hmm. residential holding?
2: Yes, remember those two loan types, conventional yeah. or portfolio and or Portfolio, I need to focus on finding and identifying portfolio lenders in the markets that I have. They're not as easy as it sounds sometimes, so that's why we, I recommend to rely on people in your network, other real estate people who've already searched for these lenders right. that are flexible with us. Gotcha. That's all you need. That's it, portfolio.
1: Does your company do like portfolio lending or finding, uh, you know, essentially finding resources that does portfolio lending?
2: Okay, so Elisa, yes, we do. But I would, all, as a real estate investor, I would tell you to never use us yeah. for our portfolio lending. Now, if you didn't have an, yeah. if you didn't have didn't have an option okay we have some yeah as another investor i know that there are better portfolio lenders out there don't forget i'm if i'm a portfolio lender it's my own money yeah i make the rules so in in america there's about 8800 mortgage lenders wow. that means there are 8800 different portfolio loans each lender could have an entirely different set of rules gotcha You really need to focus on finding a diverse selection of lenders.
1: And then where do I start? Let's just say like I'm in a network, but I don't really have any connections to anyone who has done this before. Where should I first start? Um,
2: we got to get you connected. If you're a real estate investor, one of your primary duties and responsibilities from here on out is to get good at networking. Right. Whether it's finding a deal or knowing a contractor or a fellow investor, an insurance agent, mm-hmm. you're going to have to know all these people. Right. And through time, one person will go away, one person will retire, and the insurance person will change their, their business philosophy. So you'll have to know them again and again and again and again. Right. You've got to get started with networking. So, Elisa, you have to forgive me. If you've got a network, I would strongly recommend to stick with the people that are on this call, right? The other resources that are out there that are free, yeah. Facebook has real estate groups.
1: So, so you, should, you should probably be drawing some local. So if for a person who's kind of looking into that, I'm deriving this. You should probably join like a Facebook group or so that has a local focus on the area where you're investing in and start launching questions about bigger pockets in another place. Uh, launching questions about, hey, where do I find a portfolio lender? Right. Yes. Um, bigger,
2: bigger Fox is a great resource, great resource.
1: And then maybe maybe walking to the local community bank and ask them, do you guys do portfolio lending? Uh, that's kind of more of a cold calling almost. Mm-hmm. But hey, if you don't have any other resources, this is probably a good place to maybe start. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe talking with mortgage brokers like yourself, who are also investors and maybe asking some questions over there because there may be some connections over there as well. Um yeah, so that's that's good. Uh, good to know. And then now, so we also have another person who asked questions about, hey, I am uh, thinking about retiring. And then what is the limit? What is the limit? How many mortgage can you have? And then we heard some rumors that coming April or something, certain rules are changed. Um, so how many conventional lending can you do with a Fannie, Freddie back mortgage?
2: Okay, we're going to straighten this out right here now. Perfect. The rules that are coming on tomorrow, we're recording this on the 31st. So the rules that are being implemented on April 1st have hardly anything to do with us as real estate investors. But Andrew, I thought I saw the headline. It said they will limit how many they will buy. Yeah, Yeah, but we're not going to work with those lenders anyway. Remember, the lenders that we work with have to be real estate friendly. It's hard to know which ones are real estate friendly. Okay. The rules that they're putting in place will not affect us very hard if we have a diverse selection of lenders. Uh Elisa, do you mind if I give my questions here? Is that okay?
0: Yeah, go for it.
2: Okay, so how do I know if my lender is a real estate friendly lender? I'm gonna give you seven questions to ask any lender that you interview, any, okay? So number one, when do you start using rental income to help me qualify? The answer should be immediately. No waiting on tax returns. None of this gotta be on there for six months thing. Yeah. Immediately, they have to answer that immediately. If they, if they don't, I can't use the strategies that I need to be a real estate investor. Right. Number two, when, when do you use the after repair value on my home? Yeah. Immediately, the answer needs to be immediately, no waiting. It has to be done immediately. If I'm doing any repair work, if I'm buying and repairing a home, has to be done immediately. No, no 12 month waiting, nothing like that. How long do you mean, need me to be on title to refinance? This question is important. If I'm buying a property with cash yeah. or with the hard money loan, yeah. and the answer should be no time. I will give them a pass if they say one day. If they say one day, yeah. all right, that's okay. But the real answer is, zero days, because that's what we need as real estate investors. Mm -hmm. Question number four, what is my minimum down payment required? Mm -hmm. On a single family home, the minimum down payment requirement should be 15% down. Even if you do not plan on using 15% down, I need you to ask this question, because if they say something like 25%, that is an overlay. Right. And that overlay might mean that they have other overlays that are more dangerous, gotcha. right? Number five, how many loans can I have with you? Yeah. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the rule is still 10. 10 per person, per person. So if you have a spouse, that's right. 10 for them, 10 for you. Yes. After 10, you just do the portfolio route. Right. So how many loans can I have with you? I would prefer to have an unlimited number of loans is the right answer. If they're a good company and they say, hey, you can only do six with us or whatever. All right. That's cool.
0: Yeah.
2: But that just means you need another lender.
0: Yeah.
2: All right. Number six. Can I change title to my LLC? Yes. You should allow me to change title to my LLC after I close or before. How about this one? Do you sell your mortgages? Maybe it's not a deal breaker. Yeah. I want to know if yeah. you're going to sell me to some jerk loan company. I don't need to know about it at a time. So those are the seven questions that I would recommend everybody to ask, and there should be no difference today over last week because of whatever these changes are. A truly friendly real estate investing lender should keep the same um, lending terms in place.
1: Gotcha. Now, let's kind of talk about the April 1st change a little bit. So you mentioned that doesn't have a lot of impact in Mm June best so so how is that the, the headline be different so than then what you're talking about over here with the tent tell us a little bit yeah yeah
2: well lisa you know that negative news gets more clicks <laughs> yes. if i put a bad head, i mean i i told you i worked for united way in new york city right yeah. so one of the one of the biggest things we did up there was we had a huge conference of all the nonprofits in the city we got the new york times the post like a whole bunch of media outlets and the big question that everybody had, and this was a, a forum. Hey, how can we get on your news program? How can we get in your paper? Right. So without hesitation, just do something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how, I mean, this is just our brains. Our brains react harder to negative stuff, yeah. fight or flight. I mean, we're more active when it, it, it's necessary. So oh. headlines do get more clicks. And I'll, I'll go through the things here, right? So one of the things, that is the change is that your loan has to go through an automated underwriting system. Uh-huh. 99.9% of all investment property transactions go through an automated underwriting system. Right. <laughs> so maybe this affects 0.1% of transactions. All right. The other part is though, too, that Fanny said, Hey, we don't want to buy more than 7%. Mm-hmm. We don't want to buy more than 7%. Yeah.
0: That's
2: fine, Fanny because I should be working with a lender that does both Fannie and Freddie. Freddie yeah,
0: got it.
2: And if you're a real estate investor, it's something that nobody's ever told you, Freddie is more friendly anyway. They have right. less reserve requirements, less down payment. That's the lender that we wanna, oh, excuse me, that's the government sponsored agency that we wanna use if we're using right. conventional lending anyway.
1: And, and I wanna touch base on that too, even in a Freddie and Fannie in the commercial space too, is Freddie has a slightly lower of reserve, which has been a big thing, uh, you know, since the COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Him. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. it's very important that your lender, if you're doing the residential world, they offer both. And I'm saying this because not every single one of them will.
1: Yeah, and and then you don't even know because I I personally have done a lot of a residential um, lending, and they. Don't even tell you which which one they're backed, nor do I really care as long as I know that they're backed by Fannie and Freddie.
2: As long as I can close on my loan, I really don't care either. But those seven questions that I was telling you earlier, because like really, I can really give you like 150 questions, but we don't have time for 150. How about seven? Those seven questions are the right answers to get. And that, if they answer those correctly, that's because they offer both Fannie and Freddie.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah, because more options are always better, and especially if they also have access to a list of a portfolio loan. Now, tell me a little bit more about what is the portfolio lender look for? So let's say we being a good citizen, we are being a good W-2 job, go-getter, we're now ready for financial independence. We maxed out our 10 per person, including our mm-hmm. spouse so 20 really um and so someone has to really save a lot in order to get to 20.
2: what a Uh, terrible problem to have oh i'm sorry i got so many properties Uh.
1: exactly (laughs) so so now we're kind of now getting into the portfolio lending space Mm -hmm. so what is the kind of like the the big difference that you talk about rates difference where do we see typically kind of see the delta between the portfolio lender and the conventional and then how do you what do you need to prepare for a portfolio
2: lender? Oh, okay. And Elisa, okay. I want to make sure to drive this point down. A portfolio lender can base their loan on anything. Right. Anything. So I don't think I'm going to talk out of school saying this. Chase Bank, very large bank. They're not real estate investor friendly, are they? Nah, not unless you have a quarter of a million dollars in cash with them. Right. If you have a quarter of a million dollars in cash with Chase Bank, they have all sorts of loans that nobody else gets access to. That's their portfolio lending. Yeah, They're just giving it to whoever has a bunch of money with them. Right. And if you've got over 5 million, it opens up even more. So if you have your own money to lend, just like Elisa, like the way you lend your own personal money is gonna be different than the way I lend my personal money. The same thing here. This is why I can never have just one lender. I've gotta have multiple. Now, the common thing that we want I'm going to talk about in the single family world. This is the world I live in, right? Yeah. Or excuse me, the residential world. The right. most common one that we want to have. Get me approved of my property cash flows. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what most, what they call DSCR loans are.
0: Right.
2: I just want you to understand that a DSCR loan means a portfolio mm-hmm. loan.
0: Gotcha.
2: If the property cash flow is a dollar, I'm approved. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need me to have experience. That is common. Yeah. But not all of them.
0: Gotcha. You've got to
2: find the right ones. What about, and sometimes Andrew, all the portfolio lenders I've ever heard of, they do 15 year adjustable loans or 20 year adjustable loans. Yeah. There are ones that do 30,
0: Yeah, Which is hard. 30 to
2: year find. fixed rate loans. They are out there, right? It's hard to find. Mm-hmm. Just like a great hairstylist is hard to find.
0: Yeah.
2: If you've got a good person, they are very hard to find. And take advantage of them and treat them with respect if you have one because yeah. if they go away you got to go back to square one and go through all the other people that to get to another good person
0: again. yeah
1: absolutely and referral that's why referral is such a big thing inside yes. of let investing yes you know having a network of people to be able to tap into correct um, yeah so that's that's great so portfolio loan we're looking at that but what do you see typically i know there's no typical answer because, you know, portfolio loan can be wow West out there, just like commercial loans and commercial bridge loans. There's YY West out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, really depends on how the broker likes the deal or how the, you know, the lender likes the deal. Um, so in this case, um, is there any portfolio loan and how much, I guess, not precise percentage is very common or not common, you're going to be able to do non-recourse loans? Uh, with
2: <sighs> Ooh, okay. So non-recourse. Hmm, how much do I want to get on this? <laughs> so, in the commercial world, non recourse means a little, something a little bit different than in the residential world, right? So, let's just talk about, if you don't mind, for the sake of time.
0: Yeah.
2: A traditional commercial loan.
0: Yeah.
2: I need some assets, yeah. I need some reserves. Usually, they say, hey, give me six months of your mortgage payment in reserves. Yes. <laughs> I need you to make sure you're, you cash flow. And here's, and here's the trick with the cash flow part. Mm-hmm. Most portfolio lenders will say, "I don't care about your down payment, mm-hmm. as long as you cash flow with right. my little bit higher of a rate." Right. So don't hold me to this, but let's just say conceptually that my rate is six percent. Right. If I have a six percent rate on a twenty-year M, and it might be a little bit harder for me to cash flow with ten percent down, right. I may be required to have twenty-five percent down or twenty-six percent down right. to cash flow with them. Yeah. So when with a 30-year fixed, even if my rate is still 6%, I cash flow easier. Mm-hmm. So how they calculate the cash flow and the term of the loan is critical for me.
0: Right.
2: And they usually want some type of reserves for us to have. Experience also helps. I know one commercial lender, their rate is lower yeah. every, the more properties you do. You've yeah. done more property. We're going to give you a better rate.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a thing with a commercial lending which is why we tend to be a little bit loyal to who lends to us because uh uh, you know they they go in and they say hey I you have six properties with us and then your loan size is over like whatever 30 million dollars so we're gonna nobody else can get this but we're gonna waive like 25 base points on this
2: Mm -hmm. yep and then if you do have a good long-lasting relationship now you have leverage yeah i have people who have so much money with banks, they go back and readjust. Hey, now I've got $15 million of loans with you. I would like for these all to be refinanced into a better term. Yeah. Like if you have a great relationship and you continue to work it, you can be in a leveraged position when you go to them. Now don't, don't expect this. If you only got two properties, I mean like years and years working it, you right. can use these, uh, these relationships to your advantage.
1: The $15 million loan size is pretty big for residential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But right. obviously you can get to a lot bigger. That's um, right. Yeah. And then does these portfolio lender also lend on small multifamily, which is into the commercial zone mm-hmm. where over four units, over to five units, because we found that some of our students asked about this is like, you know, from the five units to the 20 units when the loan size is kind of sub 1 million, it gets really challenged. So are these kind of like a good tenant candidate, uh, even though you do mostly residential, but is there lenders in portfolio space that would have to
0: that?
2: Yes, uh-huh. there are, and sometimes they're dependent upon where the property is located, like a rural property mm-hmm. may not be as desirable as something in a metropolitan area. Like but as as a yeah. as, yep, <laughs> as a as a portfolio lender, I can do whatever I want in theory. I mean, the board of directors gives me guidance and tells me what to do sometimes. But I have plenty of single family portfolio, commercial style loans that do single family homes and will lend on a five or a six unit as well. The important thing to understand with most of these smaller uh, properties, these are coming from community-based lenders for the most part, for the most part, right? If I'm buying a $50 million multifamily home, I need a large carrier. I need a large lender for that. If I'm buying a two hundred thousand dollar four unit. Right. A community based bank is for that. So sometimes, if I go outside of that community based bank's area, their charter won't lend. Yeah. So that's why it's if you're in this world, you need to have multiple lenders to solve some of these um, problems that we face.
1: And then I guess ideally, would it be almost always better if you start with someone maybe local in that market where you're investing in?
2: It's absolutely, yeah, it's more, I'm a lender. I'm not here to speak as a lender. I'm here to speak as an investor. And I'll speak as a lender a little bit. But as an investor, smaller, local is better more often than not. So go smaller and go local first. Yeah. That'll get you the better path of success.
1: Gotcha. So basically, kind of making a list of all the local credit union is probably a good way to start, especially if you live in metropolitan area. Um, you're probably going to hear a lot of no's because locally here in Seattle, we have a big credit union and we all know they're not very investor
2: friendly. Yeah. <laughs> At least can I, can I add something to this? Yeah. yeah. So 10, 12 years, I mean, I'm a member of several credit unions. Yeah. They used to be amazing and they've kind of turned away Yeah. Uh, from what they were. So look what I've, what I've seen here lately in the past five to eight years yeah is that there are banks that are called community banks, like community bank of blank, community bank yeah. of this. If they've got one location, name you've never heard of, yeah. call them. And I would say to call them before a credit union. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's that's good to know. That's a great tip. And then now are these ones, what you mentioned over here, because you know they have the corporation, the co-op, Co-op a brand where they say, "Hey, we join these networks. Therefore, you have all the networks." So, is, is there, um, you know, a difference in terms of like co-op within the network versus outside, or doesn't really matter?
2: Yeah, I I have not found a uh, a consistent difference because some some place, hey, we only lend to gas stations, man. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> we only do this. All right, cool. You know, it's whatever they they lend to is fine, as yeah. long as they. Fulfill those seven questions in the residential world. That's yeah. all I care about. I don't care what your name is. Just give me those answers and we'll be fine.
1: And then the smaller they are, usually a little bit more flexibility because they're maybe hungrier.
2: Usually, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but to kind of prepare for these portfolio loan though, like in order to have a better chance at it, do you think uh, preparing a credibility package uh, kind of showing what your past investment histories are you know, track tractions and etc. is going to help you a little bit more to negotiate a better deal uh, or even get approved by these. Mm,
2: okay. The thing that's really important to understand being organized is really important, but <laughs> yes. one bank might ask for a totally different set of things in another bank. Yeah. So I would encourage everybody to have a great spreadsheet of your properties, keep a folder for each one, keep all of your closing statements in there, your insurances. If I ask you for an insurance statement on every single one of your properties, how quickly can you get it to me? Right. So staying organized with what lenders ask for tax statements, yeah. leases. I don't care about your Excel spreadsheet that I can change. I want an actual lease. Maybe I can get a two-year rent roll. Okay. But um, I need to get these things fast so, I need to be organized with yeah. my properties. That's more important to me than preparing a pre stated packet because the lender may not want that at all. And then I did a whole bunch of work yeah. for nothing.
0: Yeah,
1: makes sense. Because I think we did get um, some people do talk about, like, hey, we need to create a uh, credibility package. You know, like, I'm always, I think, yeah, it's kind of nice, but like, really, like does the lender really look at these and whatnot? And then, whereas you know, like they just look at the numbers, so spreadsheets yes. is more preferred by the lenders because they can process it faster. Yep,
2: yeah. I I I do care about you as a person, but whenever I go to my underwriter, they don't care.
1: You know. <laughs> yes, you're like just a number to them. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's right. Yeah. Um. Uh. Great. That's awesome. And so, kind of for someone who is um looking at retiring and whatnot actually let's talk about a little bit about forbearance because I want to kind of touch on mm. the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so newest update on forbearance um, is that looks like it, the CARES Act has just extended to 15 to possibly 18 months. Um, and then, so can you kind of run us through a little bit of forbearance should you do it, or should you not do it? Um,
2: oh, okay. If you as- you ha- yes. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me give some guidance here. Cause I work in this, world often we rely on off-market properties in the residential world we don't buy on the mls we buy off-market so when nobody can get foreclosed on nobody can get evicted there aren't any off-market properties they've been very very scarce it's been very hard for us to do deals right if you are somebody that is in a financial need absolutely reach out to your lender about forbearance okay don't worry about anything stay in your property Keep your finances in order. This was designed to help people in need. If you are a real estate person and hey, man, my people aren't paying rent because they don't have to and they know I can't evict them. Right. If you are struggling, please contact your lender about forbearance. It's your right. You can be in it for six or up to 12 months. Even right now, you can file for a brand new today, starting today. So keep yourself in mind first. Now, if you have an option, Andrew, well, if I go into forbearance and maybe I can invest it in Bitcoin and all this other kind of stuff. I would highly caution you for this, okay? Because this, I see these people come through. Hey, I want to refinance now. Well, all of your loans are in forbearance. Well, yeah, can I can I do a loan? No, That's no, right. you cannot. Yeah. You have to follow very strict guidelines if you are in forbearance. If you're trying to get another loan, because yeah. in theory you're in forbearance for a reason. Now, you might have been choice to optional to do it yourself, yeah. but now we've got to get you out of forbearance and show your payments and all this kind of stuff. So. I guess maybe you could still navigate it some, yeah. but if you are in need, it's there for you. If it's yours as an option, maybe try something different. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Yeah, because I
1: think um, when you have the own forbearance too, is like there's multiple options for you to get out of that. Because that's also another question that people always had is like, okay, so we lost a job um, and then we're going through a transition. Um, and basically, do I need to pay the full amount back? And I think there's a few options with that as well, right? Like in my understanding.
2: Yeah, you've, got, mm-hmm, you've got three options, okay? So once you leave forbearance, the person has three options. And I know this in detail because a lot of people have been predicting us to have a big, huge foreclosure wave come through.
0: Right.
2: And that's not gonna be the case, all right? We've already gotten in applications from people refinancing loans that were, are out of forbearance. So I can tell you with authority what they face. So number one, Pay your forbearance period in full due today.
0: Yeah. Was- Not
2: many people have got twenty or thirty thousand dollars just laying around to bring their mortgage back up to date.
0: Right. But
2: that is option number one that they will present to you. Yeah. Option number two, we will put it on the end of your loan. Like right. if you owe us 20 grand, you're now gonna owe us 20 grand at the end. Right. Option three is that they could extend your loan from a 30 year to a 40 year right. or if you're in a 15 year maybe they extend it to a 30 year the things that all lenders learned, including congress yeah in the last housing crisis nobody wants to foreclose anymore right we all lost too much money if i foreclose it affects my own credit rating as a, as a lender it affects my credit rating my balance sheets are affected yeah. i don't want to for forecl- i want to avoid it as much as i can so the cares act helps lenders too yeah. and those are the three options that they will face now the one i want to make sure to bring bring this one thing up they cannot catch up the taxes and insurance uh-huh. i can't roll the taxes and insurance on the end of your home right. so the lender's paying your taxes and insurance while you are not so what we've been noticing is well now i've got instead of having a fifteen hundred dollar a month mortgage payment yeah. now my payment is two thousand dollars because i've i've i'm I'm, I have an escrow shortage. Right, right. I need to refinance. Gotcha. So there still will be some people who will face foreclosure yeah. because of this, because yeah. they can't afford their new payment. Right. Because of the taxes and insurance yeah. associated with it, but it's not going to be as big as of a wave.
1: Yeah, but but there's still going to be a. We can probably restart at this, but there's still going to maybe be a little bit wave you were talking about. Um, in terms of the the foreclosures due to this big escrow, um, and then is there options that you can select to, to pay off that amount of escrow shortage? I guess there's always options to pay off at one time the shortages on the escrow. Sure. But
2: these are these are people in need, though Lisa. Like so, like people with means can just catch up. Maybe they can pay back the entire amount. Right. But if you were really into the foreclosure or excuse me forbearance because you had to be. Mm-hmm. You may not have the need, have the you strategy. may not have the means to pay yeah.
1: Yeah, to catch it up. Yeah. Gotcha. So so the both, so the shortage, thank, thank you so much for touching on that, the aspect of it in terms of the, the escrow shortage, because potentially, even if you tag it towards the end of the, the loan, the both option two and three that you mentioned before, you may be facing that shortage of escrow, which could potentially lead to forbearance. Now, these are kind of things that we're very interested in looking at, even from a commercial pers- perspective, because we do multifamily, so we kind of look into these things too. Um, so in your prediction, this foreclosure, even though the foreclosure rate is like, what, 60 times higher than the pre-COVID time, um, obviously some of that is just water. Uh, maybe people are just taking advantage of the program. Um, and, but some of that is probably gonna be real, but majority, of it, because how it's being handled on the option side, Um, you don't foresee that to be as uh, nearly as bad as like the uh, 2008 crisis um, that happening over there.
2: That's right. It won't even be close to it. Obviously, the numbers will be higher in 2021 and 2022 than they were in 2020, right? There were no foreclosures in 2020. I think in November we had 70,000 for the country. Yeah. The state of Texas has had more than 70,000 foreclosures in a month. So for the country to say 70,000, that's nothing. It's next to nothing. Obviously, we're going to have more than that. Gotcha. But it's not going to be huge amounts of... distraught properties coming on the market it's just not going to happen
1: so andrew we're almost at the end of the show we would love to uh get your contact on should our listener has more questions because obviously we just scratched the surface over here with the mortgage lending in residential um and touched upon some hot topics that we have um so how does people find you to ask for more questions and getting some more insight or getting their hands on your list of the questionnaires that you're prepared to ask for different lenders. Um, how do I contact you?
2: No problem. So I'm one of the top contributors on Bigger Pockets. If you're on Bigger Pockets, just throw me a connection. Love to connect with you. You can also call me directly. If I'm not in the office, it'll go right to my cell phone. I work 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. My yeah. phone number is 817 380 1913. And you can also um, email me at andrew.postel. that's P-O-S-T-E-L-L at rate.com. And that contact information is also on Pockets. That's usually the easiest way most people reach out to me if they're an investor.
1: Gotcha. Awesome. And then we'll put that on the show notes over here. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you. Thank uh, you. Appreciate you.
1: you. Or to uh, maybe ask you some more firebomb questions in the future.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. This can be you. What if today was the day you started the countdown clock to your financial independence? Join many others like you at www.easyfiuniversity.com to get started.